Well, good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome, welcome once again to Service Station. Thank you so much for um, thank you for giving up uh, your Saturday morning, and thank you for giving up the first sunny morning of the year. Uh, very, very kind of you. You'll probably be looking out the window at your long lost friend, uh, the sun. Uh, but thank you, and I really do hope uh, this morning uh, will be well worth uh, giving up uh, the, the, this morning in the sun. Uh, it's great to be back uh, with you. Uh, I think last time we uh, met for service station, if I remember rightly, was back in September. Uh, so it's been a while, uh, so it's good uh, to be back together. Let me just uh, briefly describe uh, what we'll be doing uh, together this morning. In just a moment, uh, we'll be doing our first session, which is really part two of uh, making the most of our meetings. You'll remember part one very vividly uh, from back in September. That'll all be locked in your memory, and so we'll just go straight on from, uh, from there. Uh, so that'll be in just a moment. Uh, then we'll take a break, and after that, at about uh, 10 o'clock, Gareth and Tamar are going to lead us, just to start thinking about how what we do in our small groups, what we do on Sundays, interacts uh, with family life, interacts with what's going on with the children and the youth uh, also during the week, and so I'm hoping that's going to be really helpful uh, for us, so that uh, what we're doing in our groups doesn't sort of remain in the ether away from uh, family life. And then we'll, we'll finish off, as we always do, with an overview of uh, what we've got coming up. We're, we're about to dive into James. Um, hopefully you're really looking forward to that after a very different term in tracks, uh, just getting back into the Bible uh, with your group. And we'll just try to get a bit of a sense of uh, what James is about in that last session, uh, just after 11. Uh, but what I'm going to do now is I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we'll get straight into it. Father God, thank you so much uh, for this day. Thank you for sunshine. Uh, thank you for all your gifts to us. Uh, thank you for abundant uh, food uh, this morning. Uh, thank you for uh, fellowship around these tables. Uh, thank you for uh, your kindness to us in uh, giving us one another. And I do pray, Father, this morning that uh, uh, this morning is a morning of uh, rich blessing for us in uh, sharing this time together, uh, in hearing from you, and in being encouraged in, uh, about serving you uh, in our small groups. So please uh, bless this time this morning. Bless it for your glory's sake. Amen. Uh, now hopefully uh, on your uh, tables or in front of you, you've got a, an outline of uh, this first session, uh, making the most of our meetings, part two. And that's where we're going to be heading. Uh, really, uh, the, the point of uh, this session is uh, to continue what we did last time, to continue starting to think through how do you make the most of that, that hour hour and a half uh, that you may have uh, with your groups uh, week in, week out. And uh, having said, uh, I'm assuming that you've got it all locked in your memory from last September. Let me begin uh, exactly uh, as I did last time, just to try and um, get us back uh, to that place. Uh, Over the next uh, 50 minutes or so, what I'm going to encourage you to do, or try to encourage you to do, is uh, to work on the art of small group leading. I think that's what it is. It's not a science. There's not an exact way of doing it. It's an art, and we will all do it differently. Um, But in essence, that's what it means to be leading a small group. It is an artwork. Uh, We are a group of brothers and sisters, uh, your small group is, that's committed to meeting week in, week out. And that's an extraordinary thing. You have a group of people who have covenanted with you to say, I will be there week in, week out. I'll meet uh, in your home, and we'll study the scriptures together. We'll pray for one another. We'll care for one another. We'll be interested in one another's lives. That's a remarkable thing uh, in a world like this. And I think it drives us all the more to want to make the most of that time. Here are people who have committed to that, and you've committed to that. How can we make the most of that opportunity? 
And so picture with me, it's that time of the week again. Uh, this term is kicking off. You're about to have uh, your first meeting. Uh, any moment the group members will start arriving. Uh, you've done the prep on the passage. You've got James worked out. Uh, you've listened to the sermon uh, multiple times. Uh, you've got your thinking straight, at least you think you do. Uh, you've set out the chairs. Uh, someone's bringing the food. Uh, the donuts are set out for the students. Uh, you've taken those uh, one or two last-minute calls. I can't make it tonight, sorry. Uh, you've got over that, and you're ready. Uh, the knocks begin. Fred is first. He's always first. He comes straight from work. He seems to live there. Uh, Mary and James are next, uh, back after a few weeks visiting uh, the grandchildren. Uh, next, Jill and Ruth, postgrad students who share a house, and so on and so on. Eventually, uh, everyone is there. They've all come from uh, different days, uh, different contexts, with different things on their mind as you get together. Uh, but they're here. Uh, you're together. Uh, the clock hits 8 o'clock. You break into the sort of the buzz of conversation, or for the students, there's a break in uh, Peter's uh, talk. It's time to begin. And over the course of that next hour or so, God is going to speak. Uh, he'll use you to lead that process of seeing his gospel bear fruit and multiply uh, in that room, in your lounge room or wherever it is you're meeting. And the goal of that is very simple. This is the goal we saw uh, last time. You can see it there on uh, your outline, Colossians 2, 6 and 7, that those around you who have received Christ as Lord continue to live in him. Or to put it another way, God's goal and therefore our goal as leaders is to present one another mature in Christ, fully grown disciples, complete uh, who look like the one we follow, mature in Christ. Now, if you've been uh, leading for any length of time, which uh, everyone in this room has, you'll know that that's a long-term project. It's not finished uh, in that hour together. Uh, but God intends to finish that work. Uh, he promises it in Philippians 1. Uh, but the question uh, before us is, how do we make the most of that hour uh, in this process? And last time we were together, we saw three things that you'll need to be as a leader uh, to make the most of that hour. The first is uh, we saw we need to be confident, uh, not in ourselves, uh, but as Isaiah 55, 11 says, confident that God speaks a purposeful word. He never speaks it without achieving his purpose. And that's a remarkable thing to know as you, as you go into uh, that meeting, opening the word of God together. He will achieve the purposes for which he speaks. Uh, secondly, we need to be dependent. Uh, if you are a leader who has gone into that meeting without praying for yourself or for your group, uh, you're starting way behind already. Uh, the absolute most powerful thing you can do for your group is to pray for them and to pray for yourself as a leader. Uh, the third thing, and I think this is the one we neglect, uh, those other two in one sense come naturally. We know God's word is powerful and purposeful. We know we should pray. Uh, but the third thing, and this is what you've been asked to be, is a leader. And that's the one uh, you've been called to be in your group. They're looking to you uh, to lead the process. And it's uh, this being a leader that we're really focusing on uh, in this session. Uh, we saw uh, last time I sort of set out a, a series of steps in the strategy of making the most of our meetings of small group leadership. There was uh, leader preparation, uh, group preparation, uh, heading off in the right direction, uh, keeping things going and arriving at the campsite. The metaphor we used last time is that leading a small group is a bit like going on a hike. Uh, they're the steps. Uh, and last time, you remember, we never got beyond leader preparation. That's where we sort of camped 
uh, for that whole first session. And so uh, this, uh, this session we're going to get into the others. But uh, just before we do that, uh, uh, let me summarise uh, where, where we're at with leader preparation and then say a couple of other things about it. Uh, you can see there, again, uh, on your notes, uh, really try to summarise in one sentence uh, what, we, uh, what we said about leader preparation. Uh, as we've already said, God speaks his word to lead us to maturity in Christ. And one of the key things we spoke about last time is that we need to understand part of that process is that as we prepare to lead a Bible study, uh, we're preparing with two books open. Uh, we've got the scriptures open, and we've also got the book of the lives of the people that we've been called to care for. Uh, the more we're aware of their lives, the more we can speak purposefully uh, that word that God has put in front of us. Which really, this is, this is the key sentence to keep in mind for leader preparation. How does this passage... Not just any passage. How does this passage uh, call this people uh, to move towards maturity in Christ? That's the question we need to keep asking. How does this particular passage, saying what it is saying, uh, talk to this particular person or this particular group of people? And I think that will mean that in a a room like this, if we were all preparing our study uh, for the next week on James 1, 1 1-18, we will come up with lots of things that are the same, but there will be distinctives about each of those studies. Uh, as we apply it uh, to the individual lives uh, that we're surrounded by. So that's, uh, that's leader preparation. In a moment we will explore the four other steps. Uh, group preparation, heading off in the right direction, keeping things going, arriving at the campsite. But just to labour the point a little bit, let me say two more things about leader preparation. I'm doing this deliberately uh, because I think this is where the goal is uh, in leading uh, your meeting. The more prepared you are, Uh, The more ready you are, uh, the more helpful uh, that meeting will be. So let me say two more things that I think are going to be key uh, when it comes to leader preparation. The first of them, uh, you can see there uh, over the page, page two, is the adult learning cycle. Now I'm I'm not going to pretend even slightly uh, to be any sort of educational expert. Uh, There are probably educational experts in this room that might frown over the next few minutes. Uh, I'm not going to pretend to be, but what I am going to uh, state very clearly is that I have uh, been hugely helped uh, by this book, uh, Leading Better Bible Studies. Does anyone have it? It usually comes with a a glorious red cover. Um, Excellent book, uh, hugely helpful uh, in making the most of meetings, as the title would suggest, Leading Better Bible Studies. Uh, Chapter 2 of that book has a lot to say about this whole idea of the adult learning cycle and I'm just going to try and summarise some of that because I think if you've got this in your mind as you prepare and then as you lead your group uh, it's going to be hugely helpful. I've tried to picture the cycle there uh, on your outline over the page. I'm not very good at uh, computer drawings. That's about a day and a half's work (laughs) right there. Uh, There's four steps in this cycle uh, according to Morris. Concrete experience uh, flowing to observation and reflections flowing to formation of abstract concepts and generalisations, making conclusions, and then finally testing that, uh, testing the implications of that in real-life situations, in new-life situations. And so let's just go through uh, each of those when we think about uh, our small groups. I think first and foremost it means that we need to realise that by itself the experience, the concrete experience of being in a meeting, being in a Bible study together, doesn't equal learning. Uh, just because we've been together for an hour, an hour and a half, doesn't mean that we've learned anything uh, just by being there and talking. It's possible to have lots of experience and learn absolutely nothing. Uh, you'll know that in all sorts of areas of life. 
Uh, for people to learn, uh, they need to progress uh, through something like this cycle. And uh, they need to get to the point where they notice the experience that they're having. Uh, that's our job, to help them notice uh, what they're experiencing. We'll talk more about that specifically in small groups uh, in a second. But just following uh, this cycle, after noticing the experience, uh, for someone to actually learn, they need to reflect on the experience they've had. They need to spend time thinking about what's been said in a passage, asking questions, trying to work out meanings. Uh, it can and I think should include uh, looking at things from different angles and perspectives so that the, uh, the people can understand most clearly uh, what has been said. After spending time in reflection, people need to spend time working out uh, theories and conclusions. Having reflected on this, what is this saying? What, what are the conclusions that I want to reach? having uh, just heard what we've heard. Putting it into uh, really a framework of belief that we already have, things that we already know, we've already concluded. Adding to that. Uh, assimilating new information into that, that framework. And even, it will mean at points, uh, making changes uh, to our existing knowledge. This is what I thought before, but having seen this in this passage, I need to change uh, what I was thinking. And finally then, people need to apply their knowledge. What's it going to mean in the future, in real life situations? How does this change the details of my life? What are the practical implications of this knowledge? Uh, they're the sort of issues that need to be addressed. And obviously that then feeds into new concrete experiences as we apply that knowledge and the learning cycle continues. Now you might be thinking, that's all very uh, wonderful. It's nice to know that there's a cycle like that, but what does that actually have to do with the hour or so that uh, we have together. Well, I think if you think about it, it has huge implications for the way we approach uh, leading a Bible study. Uh, I think first and foremost it means that as we set out on our meeting, we need to make sure, as much as it is in our control, uh, to allocate enough time for each of those stages to see that flow happening in our group, not to be so stuck at just the concrete experience or even just drawing conclusions that we never get uh, to uh, teasing out the implications. If we want people to actually learn from God's word, the first thing we need to do is to get them to have the concrete experience, uh, engaging with the Bible themselves, having it open, reading it, uh, engaging with the, the words, the, the verses. Uh, I reckon often I start Bible studies with a pretty bland, a generic question uh, along the lines of, uh, do you have any questions or comments or thoughts? What strikes you from the passage? Now, in one sense, that's a really lazy question uh, for a leader. But in another sense, having just read the passage, it's inviting people to experience it for themselves. This is what I saw as we read it. This is what, I, uh, what struck me, which might be entirely different to what you had in mind as you were preparing uh, the study. Uh, then uh, we need to help people significantly reflect on it. How do we move from helping them just to engage as an experience with the scriptures? How do we get them to uh, reflect on it? Uh, now, just before we uh, continue, I, I'm going to, uh, at this point, stop talking. Uh, you're starting to see this cycle working. You can see it there on your page. I, I want you just in your tables to, to, to talk about how you move to that next step. How you, you've got the Bibles open. You've got people engaging with the Scriptures. Uh, how do you encourage reflection? How do you get them to not just sort of let the, let the passage wash over them without reflecting on it? How do you, in your groups, do that? Uh, what have, what's been helpful uh, for you as you try to do that? How do you get your group to reflect? So spend a moment uh, doing that just on your tables. Yeah, yep, yeah. 
that's really helpful. Why? Because it's interrogating the passage. I think being ready to do that. What, what's, what's with that? That doesn't make sense. Um, how can that be? And, and being prepared to ask questions again and again. And uh, we'll, we'll come to questions in a little while. But uh, just having that in mind, uh, we, we've almost got this testimony there and we want to interrogate uh, the testimony that's in front of us. Uh, we will come back to more on that in, in just a little while. But uh, uh, having sort of started this reflection process, one of the things that we want to make sure is that we don't stay there. We actually get to the point where people are left with concrete conclusions. Uh, this tells me this about my God. Uh, this tells me this about myself. This tells me this about what it means to uh, behave in a godly manner, whatever it might be. Um, we need to think, how do we move people towards uh, settled conclusions? And in that, I think it's vital to help them, uh, help steer them to the right conclusions. Uh, we're, we're confident that the scripture is purposeful and that it has a point. And uh, so if we've done the hard work in preparation, hopefully the sermon has helped with that and the notes have helped with that in our own preparation, uh, we know that there is a clear meaning to this passage, a clear conclusion, and we need to help the group arrive at that. Uh, we need to do that in a way that guides that process, but gently. <laughs> Uh, I think uh, it, it needs to be the group, as we'll talk about in just a little while, uh, that is arriving at that conclusion together rather than you just declaring it and thinking that people will go home with a settled conclusion as a result. Uh, finally, uh, we need to help people apply uh, the conclusions to their own lives. And uh, let me just dwell on application uh, for a bit because we have very deliberately, I think, in the way we've structured small groups uh, here at Forward, uh, aim to have our small groups spending lots of time on this part of the cycle. Uh, we do lots of work on uh, the concrete experience and even reflection, hopefully, in a sermon. But we want to do more of that in our groups. But very deliberately, we want to spend lots of time in our groups thinking about what are the implications of what we have heard uh, for our very lives. Uh, let me just say a few things then by way of application, given that that is so important, I think, uh, to our meetings, and you can see them uh, there at the bottom of page two uh, on your outlines. Firstly, some application traps that I think we can fall into. Um, the first of these is the afterthought application. Having done all this hard work, maybe even having done brilliant work reflecting on the passage, asking all sorts of questions, coming to some conclusions, uh, we just quickly at the last minute say, how does this apply to us? Um, now, in one sense, if your group is just buzzing, there'll be lots of answers to that. Uh, but we need specifics. Uh, how does this passage apply to this people? What are the questions that I'm going to ask uh, in regard to that? Uh, so not afterthought application, not last minute application. As Paul was saying before, we want that threaded through the whole study. Uh, the second trap, I think, is the stock standard application. No matter what the passage is, uh, the application is the same sort of guilt-soaked application. Uh, we need to pray more, we need to read the Bible, and I need to tell my friends about Jesus. Um, now, they're brilliant things. They're hard to argue against, aren't they? Uh, what do I need to pray uh, from this passage? Uh, what, is, what is the motivation for reading the Bible? What is it that this passage tells me about my God and what he is like that would move me to read the Bible? Uh, and what is it that I'm going to tell my friends about Jesus? What have I discovered about my God tonight that is so good uh, that I want to tell others about it rather than just a general thing? This should make you feel guilty and tell your friends. So there's the stock standard application. There's uh, the third one, and I think this is a favourite uh, for us, and that is the point the finger application. This is excellent for that person 
or that group. They really need to hear this. Um, uh, that's hugely dangerous because what the Bible is doing is that we're supposed to be under its examination. Us, not someone else. Uh, what is it saying to me? What is it saying to us as a group? Yes, you can go further. What is it saying to the church? But before you get there, you need to ask, what is it saying to us, rather than pointing the finger outside? Uh, now on this, I think uh, key in thinking through what the implications are going to be is realising the sort of passage uh, that you have in front of you. Um, there are sort of, I think, two broad types of application, uh, two broad types of passage. There's passages with explicit commands, do this, don't do this. Uh, that's going to be really helpful when you're leading a study. You think, ah, there it is. <laughs> there's the to do or not to do. Uh, but then there's also passages with no explicit commands that might just reveal God's character and purposes. I think that's where we struggle a little more because what we want to do is we want to go to the to-do list. We want to find the what is the to-do and that's where the stock standard application comes out. Uh, far more helpful with passages like that is to fill your group's heart with what your God is like. That is a gold application. Uh, what is, if people go home delighting in their God, that's... Uh, infinitely more useful than an application that you've just sort of tacked on. So think carefully about the sort of passage uh, that you're dealing with. And given that, I think there's two sort of broad types of uh, application that flow from passages like that. There's belief application. Uh, Many passages have to do with our beliefs, our doctrine, what we know to be true. And we apply these by correcting false ideas that we have. As I was saying before, I used to think this, but clearly that's wrong. I need to change that. Or confirming what we already know to be true, assuring us of that. Uh, And so we we need to be prepared to use belief applications, not sort of avoid those things. Uh, Secondly, there's behaviour applications. Uh, Some passages will have specifically to do with our behaviour, our practices, our attitudes. Uh, We apply these by planning and implementing changes in our lives. Uh, What's this going to mean tomorrow? Uh, And uh, I think with both of those, it's important to know that the Bible hardly ever has them separated. Uh, It's not like, oh, this is just a pure belief passage and this is a pure behaviour passage. The Bible doesn't do that. For instance, we're about to dive into James. And uh, James is notorious, actually, for this. Uh, Notorious for only uh, behaviour applications. People look at uh, the book of James and think, this is just... Handy tips for the Christian living. Uh, One of the buzzwords you get with a book like James is it's really practical, and it is. Uh, But never will it separate belief and behaviour. Let me give you an example. One of the things that James will uh, challenge us on is having no favourites, not having displaying favouritism, not having cliques, not having little huddles that we get into. Now, in one sense, it's a simple application, isn't it? We leave a study like that thinking, I must not have cliques. I must not play favourites. But below that, what James will do for us is it will show us the changes that need to happen in our belief system if we're actually going to do that. Uh, Just the vow to stop doing it has very little power. Uh, We'll see all sorts of things that he'll speak about in that passage. The the fear of man more than fearing God. Why is it that I want to huddle with this group of people? Do they make me feel important? Or do I like getting with this group of people because then we get to talk about that group of people and that makes us feel better? Uh, all sorts of things. It could be uh, why we do it. Uh, it could be pride. Uh, rather than James will call you to be humble before your God, which will change the way you interact with people. And it will, could be because your security is in who you're friends with rather than in your God. So you see, below this simple instruction, don't play favourites, is a huge web of belief. 
that we need to get to the bottom of. And the passage will do that for us. Uh, Another example in James, uh, it'll tell us to stop using harsh words and having divisions amongst us. But again, the vow to stop, I will not use my tongue that way, will have little power. Again, it's the deep roots that he will speak of in that passage. He will say, your tongue is set on fire by hell. (laughs) Uh, That's a huge claim. He's saying uh, the reason we speak harsh words is that we believe the lie that Satan has been telling since the Garden of Eden. Uh, So big belief systems are hidden under simple instructions. Uh, We need to do the work of seeing where belief and behaviour applications interact. And from that, uh, we need to see that there's a variety uh, of applications uh, when we're with our group. Uh, There's um, the individual application. And let me do this again with that example of favouritism with James. Uh, Firstly, I need to ask, every individual in the group needs to be asking, how does this passage help me uh, grow? What circumstances, beliefs, behaviours, values, attitudes in my life or that person's life in my group uh, needs to be addressed because of this? Uh, I need to examine the cliques that I form and make decisions to stop that. But if it's to have any legs, I need to examine the beliefs that I I have deep down that cause me to do that. Uh, Then as a group, I think we need to do that. Are there people in our group that we deliberately avoid or we find it hard to be around? What's with that? What's going on? Why is it that I I groan inwardly when this person sits next to me on a Wednesday night? What's going on there? Uh, Then there's the church level one. Does it have implications for what I do after Sunday night service Uh, when it comes to playing favourites? And then there's the world uh, so there's all sorts of levels of interaction. What does it mean for uh, my interactions at work? How do I understand the cliques that form at work? What's driving people uh, that might help me when I'm speaking to them about the gospel? So there's a huge varieties uh, of applications. Uh, let me move on to the, this second aspect, having looked at this adult learning cycle too, uh, and a related area, and that is uh, different types of learners. And uh, in just a moment, we're going to uh, play a game with this. Um, But uh, really, uh, one of the things that flows out of seeing this learning cycle is that in your group, you will have different types of people. Now, we don't want to box people, but there is something helpful about seeing the sort of tendencies that people have. And there's four different types of people that uh, uh, Morris uh, speaks of. Activists, uh, reflectors theorists and pragmatists. And what I want to do, just for a moment, uh, and you're going to have to be brave to uh, out yourself uh, with this, Uh, we're going to play a game, and I'm going to describe each one of them, and I'm going to describe the advantages of this sort of person. And uh, then I want you to put your hand up if that is you, uh, if you know yourself. And then I'm going to describe the disadvantages of of that person. So uh, let's, let's try activists first. Uh, These are the try-anything-once kind of people. They love getting stuck into things, especially new things. Love new things. Uh, They just enjoy the experience of trying that. The advantages of a person like that in your group, uh, they're open-minded. They tend to be enthusiastic about something new. So they're the sort of person in the next week or so as you start James. Great, can't wait to start James. Uh, They're also the sort of people you want in your group to get the rest excited about whatever you are doing. Uh, They're a huge asset. They thrive on the challenge of new experiences. They're outgoing and they help the group bond. Uh, Is anybody prepared to uh, say that's them? We have one activist. There's a bit of, there's a few brave. I suspect there'll be some more activists in our group. Okay, hands up if you have an activist in your group. 
not many activists. Does England have activists? Good. Um, let me describe the disadvantages of this person. And the reason we're doing this is this is the sort of things to be aware of. While this person is hugely helpful in your group, they can also be uh, a, a hindrance. Um, they get bored uh, with the notions of implementation and application. That's, a bit, that's the bit where you sort of see this sort of the screen shut down uh, in their eyes. They're interested in the now. That's what they're interested in. They can often be overpowering and they end up needing to be the centre of all the action. Uh, and so the dangers of that is that they'll get bored with simple comprehension sort of questions where you're just at that reflection stage. They want to just move on. Uh, and they won't last too well if a series goes much longer than a month. So late, having been enthusiastic at the start of James, they're the people as you get near the summer will start to be saying, well, maybe we could look at something else uh, for a few weeks. So there's the activist. Uh, secondly, reflectors. Uh, they like to ponder and observe. Uh, their approach is to be cautious and careful in interacting. Uh, but the advantages of a person like this is they, they think deeply about everything, which is great. Uh, it will help your group dig deep. They'll listen well to what others say and they'll take it into consideration when they formulate their own ideas. And when they finally say something, which can be weeks, uh, it's often fantastic. Uh, it's well thought out and considered and often of great benefit uh, to the group. Hands up if that's you. Brilliant. Hands up, if you, hands up if you have a reflector in your group. They're a huge asset, aren't they? They're the sort of the sage sitting in the corner who uh, comes up with the gold. Uh, disadvantages of such a person. They like to stay at the reflecting stage and can slow the group down with endless thoughts or angles on the same thing. They're often very quiet and will not easily open up in a group. Uh, that's often misunderstood as not liking the people in the group or not liking uh, what's happening in the group. Uh, and so it's a danger that they can sort of be swallowed up uh, by the group. They can get left behind or, uh, worse, they can help uh, keep the group uh, pulled behind, keeping pulling you back to what you were talking about 10 minutes ago and everybody's settled on and they're back with a new thought on what you spoke of uh, some time ago. Uh, and so I think it's important uh, with people like that to give room um, for them to reflect, uh, to benefit the group, but also to know when it's time uh, to move on. Uh, let me give you a third group, the theorists. Uh, they adapt and they integrate observations into complex but logical and sound theories. Uh, their approach prizes logic and rationality. It needs to make sense. If it's logical, then it's good. Uh, they want to know, does it make sense? Does it fit with that over there? What are the basic assumptions being made as we talk about this? Uh, they're very good at thinking through in a logical manner. Uh, they can often summarise something that seems complex and messy uh, into a simple, neat package where everyone goes, ah, uh, hands up if that's you. Brilliant. It's all right to be more than one of these, by the way. Uh, hands up if you have a theorist in your group. Somebody, you know, the, the person who comes along and draws it all together. Brilliant. Really, uh, the point of this is just being aware there are these different people. How are you going to make use of them? But how are you going to also tame the, the tiger 
uh, and each of them. Disadvantages of the theorists, they can be overly forceful in the rigidness of their logic. Anything that's a bit subjective or lateral or someone just flying a kite gets uh, shot down. They can often be very detached and analytical. They don't leave much room for people's feelings or emotional response. Uh, they can slow the group down, as, as does the reflector, as they wade through the details and they can detract from heartfelt response to the scriptures, preferring to focus on the intellectual side of things. Uh, each of these people is a gift from God, but each of them needs to be loved uh, in different ways. Uh, here's the final one, the pragmatist. Uh, they are the sort of people who come back from uh, a work conference, say, with all the new ideas, and they want to put it into practice on Monday morning, and they want you to join them in that. Uh, they're always looking for a better way to do something. Uh, they're always looking for an answer, for a result. For them, if it's good, it works. If it's good, it works. And uh, they want to do it right now. Uh, the advantages. Uh, these are the people that will push you to solutions, to push you to sort of to-dos and not to-dos. Uh, they won't let you leave the group at the theory stage. They won't just want to talk about conclusions and isn't that interesting, but they'll want to know what does this mean? What do I have to do? Uh, they'll pull the group along to those implications. They will act quickly and confidently on ideas that sound good to them. Now, hands up if you're a pragmatist. Brilliant. I think I've seen at least one person who is all four. This is impressive. Uh, let me give you some disadvantages of this person. They tend to be impatient uh, with roundabout conversations or open-ended discussion. They need answers and they want them quickly. Uh, they can get frustrated when a Bible study doesn't have a firm conclusion or when a discussion has tended, ended without any real outcome. Uh, so there it is. Uh, you might have seen yourself in one of those. You might see yourself as a bit of a conglomerate of them. Uh, but I think what it's telling us is that as you lead that study each night, you need to be accommodating these different types of people, more and more aware of what, what, is, what are the sort of things that will get this person buzzing and what are the sort of things that will, uh, will, will, will shut them down. Uh, how can we accommodate more and more the different learning styles and the different uh, personalities that people have? Now, in just a moment, we are going to move on uh, uh, for a few minutes to these other steps, but uh, let me just pause there and see if there's any questions uh, regarding any of these things uh, that we've spoken of so far. Brilliant. Okay, here are the uh, four other steps. As I said, very deliberately we have spent almost uh, uh, the bulk of our time anyway on the leader preparation. Uh, let me say a couple of brief things about group preparation. Uh, the most obvious preparation, I think, is listening to the sermon on a Sunday. Uh, and, uh, and the most obvious preparation for that, most obvious preparation for any of us coming on a Sunday to church is to have read the passage before. Uh, so to get into the habit of doing that, encourage your group to do that before the Sunday sermon, to have read the passage. That will uh, infinitely uh, increase the amount they get out of a sermon, I think. Uh, and the same goes for coming to Bible study. I, I think you don't want to... You want to set a ground rule for group preparation, but you don't want the bar to be too high. It might be as simple as, can you read this passage uh, before you come? Now, I think uh, in one sense, you, you might find uh, who read the passage and there's hardly any responses to that. But if you keep saying it week in, week out, uh, that will start to form as a habit. Uh, one of the other things that I've heard some groups do uh, is that they send out maybe one or two questions to think about uh, before you meet together. You know, we're, we're looking at this passage this week. Have a think about whatever it might be. 
And that can sometimes at least get people uh, thinking uh, before. Has anybody uh, got any suggestions or comments of things that you do by way of uh, group preparation uh, that you found helpful? Uh, what do people do? Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. So if there's that, some of that background stuff that can really take up lots of time in a Bible study, people have done a bit of that before. Yeah. Any other things that people do that that they found helpful? Let me encourage you to, uh, well, as I said, uh, set the bar low, but set the bar when it comes to group preparation. Uh, one, of the, one of the dangers uh, with preaching and things like that is that you know, I, I get to a Sunday and I've spent ages in a passage during the week and I'm all excited about it, but everyone else is coming at it completely cold. Uh, and I think it's exactly the same with your small group. You've done perhaps lots of prep and you're all excited about it, but they're just... Mm. And that's not their fault. Uh, they've had all sorts of things going on in their lives. But if they're just built into that week, uh, I've looked at this passage, I've reflected on it, I've started to think about it, I haven't really drawn any conclusions, but at least I know what's there. Uh, that will be a huge help as you try to talk together. Um, let me say a, a couple of things about heading off in the right direction. How do you start uh, a meeting? I reckon often we'll start a study with something along the lines of, okay, let's get started, uh, which is okay. Uh, but given all the prep you've done, it, it's probably worth giving it a little bit more thought uh, than that. It's like a hike. You need to work out where are you going to start the hike? Uh, what, what, what's the first steps? Uh, there are hundreds of ways to start a Bible study, uh, but I reckon the good ones fall into one of three categories, and don't be afraid to use uh, any of them. Uh, the first is uh, really just something really, really simple designed to get the group going, get them buzzing, get them talking. It might have absolutely nothing to do with the passage, and I know that's sacrilegious, but uh, do that from time to time. Have a sharing question that's just fun, that's silly, that gets the group enjoying being together, enjoying talking. Uh, or make it a, a more serious thing that's perhaps not completely connected to the passage. One of the things that often groups do early on in their life together is that share testimonies. They spend a bit of time doing that at the start. Of a, uh, of a series. Now maybe you did that a bit at the start of your group, maybe you haven't done it for a while. Are there some people that could uh, just tell something of their story of how they came to the Lord and uh, how he's continued to carry them? That, that's going to be a huge uh, help at the start of a study. Excited to see that God is at work and we can anticipate he will be uh, that night. So there's one. Uh, a second one is uh, I guess just a simple uh, introduction that summarises the sort of things that you're going to look at and looks back to where you're up to in a particular series. Again, that helps uh, people who are coming cold after a week of all sorts of other things. Everything else has just disappeared from their mind. Um, the third one, and it's probably my favourite, and I think probably the most helpful to do regularly, and that is giving them a taste of what's to come uh, that night. Uh, a launching question of some sort that raises sort of anticipation. It's worth being here tonight. Uh, some sort of a tension is established. We need to solve this by the end of this evening. Uh, that's the sort of thing that will motivate the group uh, to want to go searching uh, for the answer to that tension. And so there's just some ideas in terms of heading off in the right direction. Uh, let me say a few things by way of keeping things going as the study uh, progresses. Uh, again, you need to think through the sort of strategies that are going to help uh, discussion continue to flow 
uh, through the night, make it fresh. Uh, here are some thoughts uh, about that. Uh, you see them there on your outline. Here's the first one. I think it's a golden rule uh, and hard to keep to. Uh, you ask the questions, not answer them. Uh, you ask the questions, not answer them. Uh, don't tell your group what they can work out from themselves from the passage. Um, if, uh, if your question, if someone says, what do you reckon, Andrew, about that, uh, ask the question of the group. Uh, turn it round. Don't, don't become the, the master who knows all. And everybody is just keep coming back to you. Oh, master, tell us uh, what this means. Uh, if you give the answers as well, you relieve this tension uh, that's there as a group tries to grapple uh, with the passage. If you have all the answers, then they won't bother discussing it. Why do they need to? You've got it all sorted. Uh, and while you ask the questions, it's important to notice you're, you're not a quiz master. Uh, you don't have ten questions. It's not a pub quiz that you get to the end of the ten questions and you've, you've won the night. Uh, your job in asking questions is just to stimulate discussion. The less questions you ask, the better. Questions are there just to keep things rolling. Uh, it's important to keep that in mind. With that in mind, here are some sort of, I think, questions that can help uh, with that process. Uh, the follow-up questions that we ask must be probing, uh, causing the group to dig deeper and deeper into the passage. And so you might ask in extending questions. If somebody says something, you might simply ask, can you explain that to us further? Uh, or you, can, you, can you say a bit more about that? Uh, clarifying questions, what do you mean by that? Uh, I think that's really important. If, if somebody said something that might be really great, but you and perhaps you sense the group has no idea what they've just said, uh, ask, them to, uh, ask them to explain it further, to clarify what they mean. Can you put that another way? Uh, justifying questions. Uh, what makes you think that? Where, where do you get that uh, from the passage? Now, you need to ask these gently. Uh, when I say justifying questions, they're not accusing them of making something up. Uh, it's just saying, help us. Help us get to where you've got to uh, with that. Uh, redirecting questions. Uh, what do others think? Uh, or even asking someone specifically, especially a quieter person, maybe the reflector or the theorist has been just sitting there in the corner and you know they're sitting on some gold. Uh, what do you think, Bob, about that? And at that point, Bob might be thinking, oh, I don't want to talk. Uh, but it's going to be great uh, to hear what Bob has to say. Uh, finally, reflecting questions. What, uh, what I think you're saying is, uh, bouncing back what somebody says, did you just say this? Is this, is this what you mean by that? Is that right? Um, so there's some uh, thoughts on questions. Uh, secondly, um, and this is uh, really hard to do, I think, welcome pauses. Uh, don't be afraid to give time for thought, uh, for people to formulate responses. Not everyone is an instant thinker. They need time to stew over things. It feels really awkward when there's just this silence in the room, but it may well be that people are uh, chewing things over in their minds. Uh, your job is not to be the gap filler. Uh, you're not the host in that sense, making sure that everyone's that there's no gap in the speaking. Uh, ask some more questions. Keep people thinking, but don't try to fill uh, every gap. Uh, a couple of other things. Uh, value all contributions, uh, but not equally. Uh, every input has value and helps the group as you move towards uh, conclusions and implications. Um, but you need to use discrimination. Each contribution doesn't have the same value. Uh, we need to have the destination in mind. Is that heading us off in another direction? That's a right to do for a while, but this is where we're trying to get to. This is the point of this passage. 
how can I uh, not so enthused about a particular comment that, that everybody thinks, ah, oh, that's where we need to go. Um, on that, um, the next thing is uh, watch how you handle wrong answers. Uh, if you, again, uh, that's we're, we're assuming, and I think it's a right assumption that the, the Bible has meaning and purpose and it's clear, and so it's possible to say something that's wrong about the passage, and you might hear quite a lot of that in a given night. Uh, if we jump on everyone who says something wrong, the discussion will die. Again, they'll think, oh, what's the point? He's got it all sorted. Um, some answers will be dead wrong. Uh, some will be on the right track, but not quite uh, full enough. Uh, let me encourage you when that, that sort of thing's happening to hold back, uh, let, uh, hoping that sort of the penny drops as discussion continues. Let the group resolve some of those things rather than you having to uh, keep everything on the straight and narrow. Ask the group to respond. If something has been said that's you know, a bit off, uh, ask the group to respond, but let me encourage you to watch that. It's not sort of let's hunt in packs against this person who's just said something wrong. Uh, ask the group, what do we think about that? Uh, make it more general, but help the group to resolve those things for themselves. Probe further, ask those clarifying questions. Now, the flip side of that is watch handling right answers as well. Um, crime movies, sort of thriller movies, don't give the answer away early on. Uh, the goal is for everyone to get there together. And so if somebody, and this happens, I don't know whether this happens in your group, but this happens quite regularly, I think, to me. Somebody will just hit gold straight away, almost within the first five minutes. They've got the meaning of the passage. It's all sorted, and you think, yes. Uh, Don't jump on that. Uh, Just let that hang there. Uh, Hopefully the group will come back, and there'll be this moment where, oh, Fred worked that out ages ago. But if you jump on it, uh, again, the tension is gone. Uh, you want everybody to arrive at the conclusion for themselves uh, rather than just one person. Uh, and with that, I think key in all of this is keep interacting with the text. Uh, one of the dangers with Bible studies is that we read the passage, we do a few quick observation questions on the verses, and then we just go off. It's almost like we could shut the Bible and just put it down there and just have our chat. Um, let me encourage you to keep going back to it. Keep going back to it. Where are we getting this? Is this what the passage is saying? Uh, where are you finding these things? Is that the conclusion that uh, James is reaching? Uh, yeah, and on that, part of interacting with the test, uh, text is encouraging the group to ask questions, uh, especially of each other, not of you. Uh, some of that sort of, uh, those questions that I was talking about before, clarifying questions, expanding questions, all of those things, encourage the group to be doing that uh, with one another. Uh, that's uh, I reckon the, the golden moment in a Bible study, the, the moment where you think this is just brilliant, and it might not happen very often, but it's just great when it does, is when you almost you are very much the leader of the group, but you've almost disappeared. Uh, the group is just interacting, they're looking at the scriptures, they're talking about it together, and uh, you're just getting out of the way. And you might pop back in every now and then to just steer things along, uh, but they're asking the questions of each other. That's, that's our aim. I think that you're facilitating discussion in that way. A uh, final thing to, to say uh, on this in terms of keeping things going, and that is to uh, don't be a one-trick pony. Uh, given the fact that we've seen that there are different people in our group, different learning styles, uh, it's important not to get stale in the way we lead our group. Uh, be prepared to mix things up a bit. Uh, not all the time. 
uh, but learn to provoke interest uh, through new approaches. Now, some of this might sound a bit scary, but uh, I think that's because what we do in preparing Bible studies, this is what I do anyway, I do it the way I learn. Uh, this works for me, so it's going to work for everyone. Uh, but let me just suggest some, some different things you could do. You can leave these aside and think that's not going to work for me. Uh, a simple one, and I know many groups do this already, and that is uh, throughout the night breaking into smaller groups to discuss elements of the passage or a particular idea and then bringing them back to the group. Uh, that often helps. Uh, sometimes if you're uh, brave enough uh, drawing things, drawing diagrams maybe of the flow of a passage, uh, drawing pictures, thought maps, that sort of thing, getting out big pieces of a butcher's paper and, and doing that sort of work. Uh, sometimes, I wouldn't suggest this very often or with most sorts of passages, but you can act out the passage. If you've got some thespians in the group that want to give that a go, especially with narratives, uh, is that going to work? Now, I'm not sure it worked that brilliantly with James. You can give it a go. Let me know how you went. Um, uh, I'd like to see the tongue set on fire by this. Um, if you could film that, that would be good. Um, here's, here's a daring one but sometimes can be helpful have a debate uh, in the group if the group's comfortable with one another um, can you sort of debate an issue or something that's come up in the passage you can even do that I think with controversial subjects if you trust each other enough uh, but the key in that is you, uh, you challenge them all the arguments you come up with have to come from the scriptures uh, this isn't just this is what I think this is part of interacting with the text and one of the other fun things to do with that is if you know somebody has a particular view on something and someone else has a particular view on something, get them to be on opposing sides uh, to argue the other case and uh, to see what they come up with. Uh, all of that needs grace if you're going to do that well. Uh, it's meant to be done in a good spirit rather than uh, in a way that harms the group. Um, one of the simple things I think to do throughout studies is get people to dis- to describe the passage in their own words, uh, to put ideas in their own words, to paraphrase things. Uh, that, that's one of the ways you help people reflect on something. Are they getting what this is saying? Uh, can they say this for themselves? Um, here's another one that's a, it's a bit sort of uh, out there, but uh, I think well worth doing. It's not that out there, actually. Um, music. Uh, why don't our small groups have more music in them? Now, I'm not saying... You might have people in the group who can play music. That's brilliant. Uh, but is there a particular song that will highlight what you've been looking at, Christian song, or even a, a secular song that might sort of provoke discussion? Uh, be creative with that sort of thing. Uh, movies the same. Uh, is there a movie or a little clip from a movie that will illuminate something? Uh, I think I've used uh, time and time again the last few minutes of the Shawshank Redemption uh, for hope. Uh, it just captures it brilliantly. Uh, that last moment where, uh, uh, what's his name, Red is getting on the bus and he talks about I hope the Pacific is as blue as it has been in my dreams. By the way, it is as blue <laughs> as it has been in my dreams. But there's just a, there's sort of the anticipation, you can almost taste hope as you look at it. And you want people to feel that way about Christian hope. Can you taste it? Now, if you've sparked that a little bit by showing them something that, that actually does that, uh, that might help them as they look at a passage. So there's an idea. There's lots more uh, when it comes to movies. Um, uh, there's even a website called Movie Ministry or something. I'll, I'll, I'll get the exact one and send it to you, where, which has virtually every passage in the Bible and ideas from movies. Now, it's a bit hit and miss, I have to say, but, but there are some, some good ideas uh, in there. Uh, the final one is that you could sort of work through scenarios, and that might help with that final bit of the learning cycle, the implications 
Uh, you come up with a scenario. Fred is at work and this is happening. Given what we've learned, what, what should Fred do? Or what should Fred be thinking? Uh, and then it's, it's a bit easier for people who own the implication. They, don't, they can sort of hide behind Fred at that point. Uh, so there's just some ideas uh, in terms of uh, not being a one-trick pony. Uh, let me just finish uh, with a couple of other things about arriving at the campsite finishing. Uh, really, this is uh, realising that the, the, the art of Bible study leading is the art of not getting lost. If you keep that metaphor of the hike, you want to end up at the campsite. You have a clear goal. The passage is about this. Uh, you know, If you've done the growth groups course, you'll know that one of the big things it pushes is, I want the group to know dot, 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 or I want the group to do dot, 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 and you're including yourself in that. Have you arrived at the campsite? Are people seeing? Uh, we know because of this passage, this. Um, uh, there, is a, there is a sense in which uh, many of our small groups may still be just wandering off uh, in the hills somewhere and we've sort of left them there. Can we bring them uh, to, the, to the conclusions at the end? One of the ways that we can do that is reinforce the central truths and supporting truths that have been in the passage uh, at the end. Restate them for people so they know this is what we've discovered. Highlight relevant applications and pray through those things. Uh, pray those specific things. So when you get to prayer at the end, uh, hopefully you prayed earlier, but if, if, if you get to prayer at the end, pray about that. Uh, don't just pray about things that are totally disconnected from it. Uh, and on that, I reckon it's key to make sure that that summary you make at the end reflects the actual discussion you've had uh, rather than your pre-written notes. Uh, you might have had that experience either leading or someone else leading where they say, what we've discussed tonight is... Dot, 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 and you think, actually, we didn't discuss any of those things. Uh, so does your conclusions that you make at the end, uh, do they capture what the group has been speaking about or rather just what you hoped uh, they'd spoken about? Uh, final thing I'll say um, uh, is just six quick warnings, six things to, to bear in mind in leading the groups. Uh, firstly, don't preach your hobby horse. Uh, we all have particular hobby horses, things that we uh, have a particular bent towards and we want people to talk about and wrestle with, whatever it might be. It can be all sorts of things. Uh, don't, when you see a little sniff of that hobby horse appearing in the passage, think, fantastic, the gates are open and out the horse goes. Um, so don't do that. Uh, not everyone has that same hobby horse as you. Uh, speaking, uh, continuing the, the horse theme, don't flog a dead horse. Um, if you sort of get a sense that you've been rounding on a particular verse or a particular section over and over again and you're getting less and less fruit from it, just say, let's move on from that. Uh, even if they haven't got exactly what you're looking for, maybe as you go on, uh, the rest of the passage, the rest of the context will inform things. So don't labour things. Uh, uh, here's the third one. Don't avoid controversy and conflict. Uh, that sounds dangerous, and it is. Uh, but one of the things the Bible should do if we're looking at it properly is it will provoke challenge in us. It will say, that's not what I believe, and it will force us to hopefully change our mind. Uh, and so some of that will happen in our group as we have different views on something. Uh, allow that to happen, but encourage that to be done in a gracious way. Even say before a passage where you think that might happen. Now, we might have different ideas as we look at this passage, it's important that we speak of those and let the Bible inform us. So be prepared to, to do that rather than avoid it. Um, uh, fourth, don't pretend you know everything. Uh, 
if even after preparing and stuff like that, the group's saying, I'm not sure what this means, and you're not sure what it means, say that. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but uh, be prepared to look into it for them or encourage someone else to do that if someone's particularly interested in it. Don't prepare, uh, pretend you know everything. Uh, fifth, don't leave the map behind. Uh, it's just another reminder. The map is the scriptures. That's going to guide your discussion. Don't put it aside after the first few minutes. And finally, again, repeating what I've said before, don't answer your own questions. Uh, let the group do that. Uh, now, we're going to stop. Um, uh, I won't say that the final postscript thing. I'll leave that as a mystery uh, for now. Um, but to, just before I pray, is there any questions, anything that people would like clarification on or anything like that? Otherwise, I will pray. Okay, well, let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we've uh, spoken a fair bit uh, over this last hour about uh, techniques and strategies and uh, all things like that. Uh, uh, we know, Father, that um, uh, the real power, the real work in our groups comes from uh, your spirit uh, speaking that word into our hearts. And so remind us again, Lord, as we set out on this term to be humbly dependent on you, uh, to be confident that you will achieve your purposes even through our faltering attempts. Uh, but Father, help us to work hard, help us to think carefully about the sort of people that you have, have placed in our groups and the gifts that they have and the different quirks that they have. Uh, help us to uh, make the most of uh, all the individuals that you have arranged uh, in our group uh, to your pleasure. Uh, help that be uh, a huge blessing to us and to them. So give us uh, a determination to work hard at making the most of our meetings together. Amen. Well, let's take a break uh, for about 10 minutes and uh, then we'll come back together for Gareth and Tamar.